if if you're caught up on the legality, just email me at adam at retention.com. If, <laughs> if you made it all the way through this podcast and you're still hung up on the legality, I am willing to get on the phone with you personally and explain it all to you. So, so again, this morning I was in Venice. I went to this like Yapo mixer coffee thing. And I was chatting with some folks and retention came up and like three or four people in a circle all said the exact same thing. And so let me kind of take what they said and get your feedback on it. Cause I'm, I, I'd love to know like your kind of retort to this, but they said, I love the idea. I'm terrified of being named in a class action lawsuit because I'm violating the law and all of these terms and services and everything. And for that, I think that's the biggest bit to yeah. where you're otherwise like it's a no brainer and we'll get into everything else later on. But like, let's start off with the juice right away. The reason they're saying that is because an indirect competitor of ours that effectively does something very similar called SafeOpt, them, and it was like two national brands, like Jake's Coffee or, or Pete's Coffee or something and like one other, Everyman Jack or something like that. They were named in a class action lawsuit and they do what we do. They do identity and then they actually send two emails. So the product doesn't solve the two big core problems we solve. We solve email list growth, which they don't do because they're sending the emails and you only get the email if someone buys. And they don't solve the bottom of the funnel like abandonment communication, audience expansion problem. But they're an indirect competitor. They're using the same tech and they're enabling it over email. A critical component. So like if I were a brand, I'd look at that and be like, that's also retention.com. If I do that, I'm going to be every man jack. I'm going to end up on a lawsuit. There's a few important things to realize here. One, that wasn't a suit about email. That was a suit about pixel retargeting. Meta has been sued a hundred times about pixel retargeting. Clavio has a pixel. I don't know if they've been sued. They probably have. Hotjar has been sued nine days to Sunday, right? It just so happened that we have this new product in this new industry and they're doing it too. So it's getting kind of like unfair. It's it's like, this wasn't a lawsuit about this meth method of de-anonymizing people and emailing them. It was a lawsuit about specifically not collecting consent to do pixel return. That is a very important part of it. I have highlights of it on my LinkedIn page or whatever. So <laughs> we're pushing all of our customers to use Cookie Pro. One Trust is the industry leader in this consent stuff. What Cookie Pro is, is it's this except it's the GDPR opt-in thing, right? Yeah. If you very conspicuously, preferably on the banner, but you can put it in your terms of service, say these two sentences about what we do, which the essence of it is effectively, we will take anonymous identifiers and we will match them to personal identifiable information. In some cases, an email. And in some cases, we might email you. If that says that, like in the sort of like expand to read what cookies are doing, Sure. And the consumer hits accept. There is literally not a leg to stand on with a class action lawsuit about this. Another important thing is that this was not a CCPA lawsuit. This is like an age old wiretapping claim where ambulance chasing lawyers, in my opinion, are seeking a theory yeah. to try to figure out who two, two cases of several hundred have made it to court. And that's why so many of them are happening. Right. Yeah. So like, but even with CCPA, this is not a debate about whether or not you can do this. You, It's a debate about whether consent is being collected for doing this. Which you're I, putting into what, the... We're just encouraging people to do that. I can't make a brand do it, right? It's up sure. to them. They got to go get the software. But like the way that you completely eliminate the risk. And by the way, you're using a bunch of other pixel retargeting anyway. You could already be named in sure. the same lawsuit. This just... Ha the, there is like this 
false equivalency between what SafeOp was getting sued for and what we do because we do the same thing, right? Like it's, but they're getting sued for something that hundreds of other companies do. Yeah. And I think like one of the big issues there, and I think you brought it up here and I really want to kind of dive into it because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an advisor on some brands and I'm on the board here and I got some equity and some stuff. And the biggest pushback I got from most people across the board was a misunderstanding of how the tech worked that basically was like, Folks were coming in and saying that that you were effectively violating the can scan, and that was your tech. And it's like that's yeah. that's not what <laughs> so, it is. So like, no, I mean, so so like the reason that I feel like that's the biggest objection. So it's this is a blessing and a curse, by the way. Sure, yeah, I, of course. I hope to forever operate in an environment that is this poorly understood because it keeps competitors out. We were 100%. able to get to, we were able to literally get to 20 million ARR before we had a single person doing exactly what we do. Now this guy, go Growbot has like popped up and he's out there trying to undercut us. Fine. Have at it. Right. It's kind of a compliment, right? Sure. Um, I mean, Hey, look, if you're not getting, if you're not getting yeah. copy, you're not doing good enough work. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy literally made a video with like all of my copy in it. I'm like, you know, great. Like, Fair enough. Okay, good for you. Yeah, yeah. Point, right? Like, uh, you know, make the market more legitimate. Yeah, just, so, just validate what I'm doing. Thank right, you. totally. Yeah. But like, it hasn't gotten any venture funding. I doubt that he will either because this is, su- this is such a, conf- it seems illegal. That's the problem with the Yapo. Yeah, it, the it people, feels, it's like, it feels like yeah. you shouldn't be able to do that. But like, here's my, here's my retort, right? Think about the brands that are using this today. Warby Parker, True Classic Tees, Bulletproof Coffee, right? Dr. Squash, Penske Media. These people have fucking in-house counsel. Like, yeah, yeah. They would armies of in-house counsel. There's literally no way we could have the list of brands that we had if it was illegal. We couldn't have gotten through these legal departments. Yeah, you're talking six, seven-figure monthly legal uh, bills. Yeah, dude, like, like. It is legal, right? That's not the problem. The problem is Nike's not going to do it because they have an ethical position against being impolite about email, right? They don't, or maybe they're GDPR worldwide. You couldn't do it if you're GDPR worldwide either because GDPR is opt-in for data collection on the internet. That's not what the law says here. You are allowed to do this in the US. Even the state level stuff, there's a federal level can spam law that was made in 2003 and reviewed in 2019. It is an opt-out law, period. There is no room for interpretation. Yeah. It is opt out. It says nothing about opt in anywhere in the law. Yeah. It's just the way it is. There's a big misunderstanding about that because sure. the email marketing community markets opt in email and everything else is spam. It's like, well, why aren't we all just spamming each other? It's because Gmail and Hotmail and Yahoo would block you. Yeah. We created the perfect email. Someone on your website who we also get signal from in the rest of the email ecosystem and we pop it in your Klaviyo account and it goes out instantly. It's the yeah. perfect reverse engineered email. 100%. Everybody would buy everybody would buy lists in e-commerce if they could. They just can't without blowing themselves up. This actually works, right? So like but and to be fair, there it, are it, entire black markets of like the emails people just violating. Right, anyway. but it's fucking dangerous. Forty-eight thousand shop of like brand owners as an email, just like, hey buddy, here's a list. Like I didn't yeah. even buy it. It was just like yeah, a, yeah. Uh, from a yeah. friend. And I was like, I can't touch. It's like, yeah. Thank you. So, so by the way, I think a few things are happening. One, that safe op lawsuit slowed us down entirely. Two, we're like crossing the chasm in Shopify from very risk loving and early adopters to much more conservative people. So, I'm not surprised that the people that aren't using it are holding on to these. You know, it's like 
they're not really interested in understanding the nuances of the law. Yeah. They yeah. just want a reason to say no. Like the, the early adopters were excited about this possibility. Like, sure. like they understood the value immediately. And they were just like, I also understand that this is legal. And like, look, if a class act, if an ambulance chasing class, there's just so much to say to that. It's like, think about the brands that were named in the lawsuit. It's not Joe Schmo's underwear socks.com. It's Pete's right. fucking coffee. It's like right. somebody that everybody knows, yeah. right? Like if everybody doesn't know your brand and I mean, everybody, you're not going to get named in a class action lawsuit for it's anything. It's not even worth right? the like, time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's not your biggest problem right now. Your biggest problem is getting your brand to where everybody knows it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yeah. So, so, so yeah, that's, that's look, I mean, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's just going to you know, sort of change the the color of the content that I'm creating on on LinkedIn and Twitter a little bit. I'm just going to evangelize some of these points a little harder because I think it's it's important for people to know, right? It's like what I should be talking about, right? Yeah, because I mean, what- I'll say this. I think as I see it, being somebody that, you know, I mean, hey, look, you guys have helped me. I saw you at Chipper Whale event back when the team was a fraction of the size it is now yeah. at, the, at the Blue Whale like you know the 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 inside the 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 cool kids club of it all and uh, and it's been really interesting that where i see it there's really three big parts you know and and i think that this really comes down to the understanding of it all and i think the first big issue which you're talking about here is just the legality of it right and i think the other side of it that is really interesting to me is the use cases or the misuse of the tech. I think it is, I can clearly think of four or five posts I saw on Twitter where clearly somebody used the tech in a way that was wrong, not in (laughs) line with the best practice. Yeah, And And as a result, it's like, well, one one asshole did this dumb thing. Clearly all of it is trash. I think there's an idea of it that is fun. Right. Like, oh, this is cool. Like, it's nerdy cool. But the role of this in a business and and where that fits. And I think that use case is something that I'd love to know how you feel people should be using it. Part of that was we were like a self-serve tool in October of last year. Right. Like they could do whatever they wanted with it. And I'll tell you exactly. So like just for now, there's two products. Right. One you put on your homepage. It identifies a person that doesn't fill out a form and we pass the email address to your newsletter. And that's where it stops. It's up to you to email these people. It's not linked with them making any behavior on the website and triggering flows. The second product is all about actions that these people take and triggering flows, right? Yeah. So what happens if you use the first product incorrectly and it can be used incorrectly in several different ways is you blow your deliverability up. Why? Because these emails have incredibly high positive and quite high negative engagement. Yeah. What is that? They're, they're polarizing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, and it's not negative engagement to the extent that like, you know, you're just like, this is like Viagra spamming. It's like, you know, two, three times the one in a thousand that's acceptable, but you can't send that on its own. Right. The reason this works for who it works for the big Shopify stores is because what we're doing is we're hiding the negative engagement in the existing mail stream, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we actually, now we we call it the Bruce Boltz integration. Chris Holt came came up with this, or Chris Hall. So like they got in a bunch of trouble with Clavio because they were going way too hard. And they're like, dude, they're not going to let us use it anymore. What can we do? 
and, and how we were instructing people to set this up was just make a welcome series with these contacts, you know, send them three emails. If they don't, if they don't open, unsubscribe them. If they do put them in your newsletter, pretty simple. Yeah. The engagement statistics of that welcome series look like shit because the unsubscribes and the spam rates are so high that it looks bad. And then people don't actually convert on the welcome series that don't fill out a form, right? Like it takes you a month to warm these people up, right? It's, it's a colder email. Once they can, you know, once you've gotten rid of the chat and once you've got the wheat and gotten rid of the crap, the emails look really good. But like, you just need to go through a filtration problem. What we require, which is a result of the Bruce Bolt, and we actually call it the Bruce Bolt implementation, is instead of sending the welcome series first, yeah. we actually hold the contacts in a segment, mix them in with a newsletter, send them in a batch with the existing newsletter, which is incredibly low negative engagement. All the complaints and unsubs fall out against that newsletter. Yeah. Then we put them in a welcome series. So it's like which I've is, got a newsletter of ten thousand. I got a newsletter of ten thousand subs. I mean, I'm, these aren't real numbers, but I yeah. got a newsletter of ten thousand subs. I'm dropping in five hundred new people. Yes, exactly. And like exactly twenty percent of them yeah. are stoked on it. I don't care about the negative because right, right. It's just because the, it doesn't change the metrics of that newsletter materially. Surprisingly, once you wash out those negative engagers, what remains? is a very similar quality to your existing list. Yeah, and that's- Which that's is crazy to think sense. about, yeah, right? So so, so th when you think about it that way, why wouldn't you want 10 times more people on your list? You 100%. fucking would, yeah. <laughs> right? And, like and you a thousand percent would. Like yeah, the analogy would. that I like to make with it is like, I see so many folks that, like, I, as a paid media guy, I look at it as the difference in intent and conversion on like a branded search Google campaign. Yep. Versus like a prospecting Facebook ad. Yeah. Like the impression count to like actual meaningful conversion. That ratio on a prospecting Facebook ads is terrible. Yep. But it's what ultimately it grows the business above and beyond. You're prospecting with it. So the exchange yep. rate isn't going to be nearly the same. But it doesn't mean it doesn't have value. And the people that do come through are, like you're saying, very competitive in their value in the business. And I think that that's. You know, especially because you're not necessarily doing the spin the wheel for 20% off. Like there might even be of Dude. greater value because you're not going, you're not devaluing the brand. There, it's look, anybody, like anybody who's been a long-term customer will, will, will tell you the enormous value of this top of funnel strategy. So, so I was having, do you know this guy named Gareth Lancome? He's got like. It sounds Rockwell, super familiar. Rockwell Razors is one of his brands. Okay, He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like helped out Loom with it, like a, a scientist with this shit. Like, yeah, yeah. So he's he's advising a lot of people, a lot of people out. And basically, so he's saying one interesting thing. He's like, I'm trying to get everybody to look at marketing efficiency ratios rather than just, you know, attribution. He's like getting their heads out of triple whale and North Beam and like trying to look at this MER. Yeah. And he's like, and then he's like, I talked to him for the first time last fall. And he's like, when you were describing this to me, I understood the value immediately, but he's like, I think you were describing the logic well, but I did. I felt like you weren't describing the value of the email. Well, yeah. And he's like, and I had had this feeling really early on where I was. And by the way, like I look at diff eyewear, who's been a customer for two years, they've made $4.5 million on our fucking emails. They probably paid us 150 grand, right? Mm -hmm. Like it yeah. is it's unbelievable right yeah, but like yeah. we're putting our balls in the blender because we're like hey 12 month deal with a 60 day out 
if we haven't showed you ROI in 60 days, and, and the, the, the nature of what's happening is we're selling people emails that are converting over two years and we're putting ourselves on a 60 day ROI, like burden or whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah. It was it's, it's, it's this window to proof. Yeah. So like, he's like, here's how I think you need to be looking at this. And I think he's right. Cause like I have a SaaS business and this is the way you look at SaaS businesses. He's like, brands do not know the value of an email address. He's like, if you could yeah. go into their Clavio account and tell them what the average revenue over what period of time an email address was, then subtract their gross margin. That is the profitability of owning an email address to them. Oh, yeah. Then so many brands across, I talk to don't, then, know, then, don't yeah. even know how to factor that. Then, then, then if you could go across your entire system and see what the discount for your lower quality email address is, you could go and say, look, an email address is worth $1.60 to you. Your gross margin is 30%. So we're down to $1.25 or whatever, $1.20. Our emails are 25% less effective than that for these five reasons, right? Then you're down to 90 cents, right? Of pure profit for an email that we're going to give you. I'm going to sell you those for eight cents and they're going to convert over a year and a half. It's yeah. like, of course you would do that. And then of we course. would be out of this 60 day. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, nobody, no, nobody is thinking about these emails in terms of that. And by the way, I don't even think that that's the true value of it. I think the value of being able to send to a list of people every week or every day or every three times a week, that's five times the size of what it would have been had you not used our tech for a year and a half, has this indescribable and yeah. unknowable brand effect. Yeah, it's right? one of those things where you can't actually measure it because yeah. it, ultimately, it, it ultimately changes your marketing mix, which is the third thing I wanted to come to with is, now we've covered the lawsuit side. So, okay, I'm feeling better about it. Got yeah, it. And, and by the way, like, I don't expect people to just flip on that one in a, in a, in a day. Oh, of course. Right? But no. like, I, I encourage you to look at the facts, like read part of that lawsuit. It's not about emailing people. I think, I think right? you and I are highly logical yeah. individuals, but we yeah. talk to folks operate on upper the values yeah. and look, I get it. Like, right. There's, there's a, you know, there's, in the world of like, I just finished reading, you know, Rocket Fuel. There's the visionary and the integrator. If you look at the M, you know, the the E myth, right? It's it's different parts of businesses, right? Some folks are just it. it, it not everybody can take the path until they see it from soup to nuts. And it's interesting. Yeah. I was having a conversation with folks from Tapcart because I feel like they have a very similar issue in that there's a use case problem where they're not introducing the entire thing as sort of the sales pitch. And I've been talking yeah. to them about that. And I think, you know, they're getting more and more adoption that that's neither here nor there. Just, I think yeah. it's similar. I think the third thing here that to really talk about is just revolutionizing the marketing mix strategy here, because we think of email as either it's a retention effort or it's some like black hat, cold email thing. And I feel like you get looped into that black hat, e cold email thing. But let me give you my use case and you tell me. I'll give you my, a strategy I'm going to do for my school. So my idea was this. I know roughly what an email is worth. Let's say each email is worth a dollar for the purpose yeah. of this conversation. Now, I'm entered in on, I'm testing with the lowest level just to like as a use case, right? MVP, does it work? I think for that MVP, it's something like three or 4,000 for a couple hundred bucks a month, something along those lines. I don't remember the exact yeah. math, but it, it basically means I can lose about 90% efficiency on what I think an email is actually worth and even just break even. Yeah. So I'm looking at it as I'm now letting people that have shown some attention, it's 
a bit of it's not prospecting it's not top of funnel yeah. but it takes email up from the bottom of the funnel and, and retention into much more of that mid somewhere funnel. in the middle right yeah, yeah it really becomes more of that like second third fourth fifth touch point that Facebook would already be doing and maybe even a touch point before Google even theoretically that search comes into play like it's in so that discovering consideration and understanding part of the funnel and for me it makes complete sense that if that works, then I have the opportunity of trying to amplify the top of the funnel because I know my middle is more efficient. Yeah. And as a result, I'm squeezing more out of every dollar that comes in. One of the tests that I did initially was I put the tech not on my primary page. I actually put yeah, it on, yeah. I indexed all my pages based on revenue and I put it on all of the second and third tier pages. Yeah. and used it to amplify the revenue value of all those second and th third tier pages and it was undeniable yeah. a, a page went from half a cent per user to like three cents per user yeah. i'm curious what you think about that and also just the idea of changing the way you think about the marketing mix because this is not just standard bottom of the funnel retention email anymore we're, we're yeah. using the tool in a new way if that makes yeah. sense it's a, yeah i think it's a great talking point for me because who wouldn't want their marketing mix to shift more towards email yeah it's the cat like it's the best one right like it just yeah it the, just I, I tell people the marketing efficiency on facebook if you break even you're doing great right email is like a penny to earn a thousand yeah, yeah it's like it's like, like totally so i think all of that is like totally the right way to think about it. the thing that makes this tricky is you just need to keep the inflow of emails versus your existing mail stream like under 10 percent increase each send of your 30-day actives right Interesting. that's the constraint okay. on the email side that's what makes it fucking hard that's what makes the big shopify stores the candidates to do it that's what this bruce bolt methodology is all about the second you get to like 20 or 30 percent each send you make of, of of cold leads this is how people spam by the way they have a yeah. body of emails going out and they're adding in cold emails at some percentage to where their metrics are very comfortably below what would cause a problem. Sure. But they have these hot high value leads. That's ba basically what we have done is like employed a spamming tactic to the mass market in a way where it works. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, that, that is, I think it's the right way to think about it. It's just not infinitely skip, but by the way, that equation also increases exponentially. It's just another area that you have to be very careful about because if you break it, it is going to be very annoying to unbreak. We have yeah. a full-time deliverability guy who can tell you literally everything you like Portland leather goods. They yeah. were like, they were like, dude, like I want to in, in the last, he talked to him every day between black Friday and Christmas. They're like, we want every last fucking email we can send. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were weird. They were not an email first shop, which is strange being 70 or 80 million, whatever they were at the time. They only had 20,000 active contacts on their email list. Now they have 700,000, right? Yeah. Like because of us, literally. When we were talking to Clavia, I like showed them Portland Leather Goods. I'm like, this is what we can do for people. Like yeah. metrics, unchanged, list size, 50x right yeah like, and, and curtis is so great as like a yeah. human being i love yeah, that amazing. guy a big 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 fan of those people yeah so unless you are in a position where you can have someone like our guy looking at this every day it is not a strategy where you're like i am going to press this as hard as possible yeah we try to make it something that's quite passive it's like if you do this in a relaxed way for two years 
your list will be five times the size that it will be. And this is just math. You know, yeah. you're creating, you're, you're converting 2% on a form. We'll give you, I don't know, maybe 17, 18% if we're getting really judicious on all the shit we're throwing out. So it's like, you know, it's definitely like a six or seven X and, you know, you got to prune them at a rate that's like twice what you would prune other people, but sure. it ends up being, if you were going to have 200,000 contacts in a year, in two years, you'd have a million. That's just yeah. the nature of how it works out. I mean, the, so the like, math is my favorite math equation that I re reference all the time when it comes to these growth metrics is like 5% a week is three X a year. Yeah. So it's like, how much are you willing to invest in three X a year growth? Man, that might be the more aggressive side. Say you cut it in half and it's only one and a half or two X a year. Like, yeah. is like, it's one of those yeah. things where one of my favorite quotes is from this guy, Hank Azaria, you know, Hank Azaria, the actor guy, right? Yeah. So he's a voice on the Simpsons. He's like a quarter of the voices on the Simpsons. And he was on, he was on the WTF podcast from Mark Marin, And he said, I'm at the same time, both wildly overpaid for my job and wildly underpaid for my job. And the point is, let's say he makes 5 million a year to basically go into a vocal booth for two weeks and make funny sounds and then leave. That yeah. sounds amazing. Like he's wildly overpaid for two weeks work, but he's also a quarter of the cast on a billion yeah. dollar business. The, yeah, the longest running sitcom that yeah. has ever existed. Right. And my point to that is, if you're using this correctly, you all legitimately couldn't charge an appropriate amount. You're Hank Azaria, right? In this case, people could take a look at it like, oh, it's adding this thing. But to your point of the brand that you were starting to talk about, that was been with you for two years. Yeah, Diff Eyewear. Uh, yeah, Diff Eyewear. Like, you legitimately couldn't go to Diff and be like, this is how much we're worth. I mean, right. you could, but like, right. the, yeah, the, the would, ability, like, you don't would, need yeah. to, and it wouldn't work. Right. But like, I, I just find that it's very similar and that the best tools are one of those things where you legitimately, the quantification of the value ends up being inarguably less than the overall cost. Yeah. And I think the biggest issues that I'm seeing again is people's misunderstanding about how the tech works, yeah. at least to the legalities. And then the, and then the best practices, because I see so many folks being like, so I'm just going to hit everybody that abandoned cart no matter what, or I'm just going to yeah. do all this stuff. And it's like, yeah. you can't apply one set of disciplines to a completely different thing. And to be fair, you guys are kind of defining sort of a new space. And yeah. I don't think people initially really understood what the best practice should be. And, I and we're, we're getting a lot better than that. That Bruce Bolt methodology alone will change everything. It will yeah. eliminate the, the most frequent fuck up by 99.9%. .9%. If we don't let someone launch who hasn't set that up, then we will have no problem with Brands or Clavio ever again. Problem is, you know, when it was self-serve, like the, the biggest thing that people would do is they just like let it run for two weeks, not even send a welcome series to these contacts, wait for two weeks, blast them alone, not even in another newsletter, Flavio account ruined. Yeah, yeah, because they're <laughs> like, 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 yeah. like that is list just, and it's it's like, it's not a crazy thing to do. You know, they're not stupid for doing that. No, they're, they're like, well, I don't want to list. Yeah, yeah it's like, I don't want to mess up. My, yeah, I want to see how it performs. I don't want to mess up my current list or whatever. Yeah. Like when you when you tell people the reason this works is because you blend and you borrow reputation that you've built. Some people that makes them uneasy. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so. I think the last part to this is just the brands that I know that are huge advocates, and, and I won't just go dropping names everywhere, but like the brands I know that are huge advocates, 
that are being really successful treat this as its own discipline, yeah. right? Like they're managing it as though it was TikTok ads or my customer service team or yeah. like landing page design or CRO. It is its own discipline that needs to be treated with its own set of rules. Yep. And I think that is, you know, probably the, the biggest thing that I'm seeing for most people that are successful with it. And I think what you've laid out here, if I can recap the rules, it's blend them into your existing flow with something yeah, that and we, is- And we will, we will show you how to do that. Like yeah. we, like you get, it is a fully white glove onboarding now. We will set up the segments in your Clavio account that do that. And what it's doing is it's holding them until a newsletter goes out and then it's sending them with the newsletter. And then it's doing a welcome series afterwards. Yeah. Once the complainers and the unsubscribers are gone against the newsletter, right? Like I think, that's the key. Yeah, and I think that's an important nuance here. And, and I like that you've done that as a business where you're saying our biggest liability is misuse of the product, not by any malice, but more just right. by ignorance. And we have right. we have experience. Yeah. So we're literally going to hold your hand so that you can see the value of it. Because once the pieces connect and you see where all the parts fit, the value is effectively undeniable. I would imagine your churn rate on the managed onboarding, which is just this SOP of working with you guys, is pretty. I, I bet there's a lot of SaaS companies that would like to have your numbers. That, that's yeah. where I'll put it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 gotten a lot better since it was it's versus being self-served, tell you that much. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, just one thing I wanted to touch on, and I really, maybe we can leave on, on, on this note, is just the problem identification and the solution here feels like it's so disruptive. For those that are more of younger entrepreneurs trying to get into something, I think there's a lesson in how this is approached, because, I mean, by no means did you hit a home run the first time at bat. No. Right? Yeah. So I I did not do this as my first career. I'm 42 years old. And my first job was as a Wall Street credit default swap trader at Lehman Brothers in Manhattan. My roommate started Vimeo in the apartment I was living in. Guy Jake Lodwick, he, he lives in Austin. I just moved. So I wanted to do, I had a 10-year trading career, made a bunch of money, wanted to do that. After the crisis, I quit. And with this incredible false confidence and sense, like Wall Street does very strange things to you if you do well early in your career it makes you think that you're smarter and better than everyone else. Sure. Which which I think is good in a way, because like knowing what I know now, I'm not sure that I ever would have started the first business that I started. You know what I mean? Like, right, of course. Yeah, like, like it's not it's not a path that you like lay out logically. You're like, I'm yeah, going to do this. Like if you yeah, thought yeah. about it reasonably, nobody would ever be an entrepreneur. Yeah, totally. But, uh, you know, it's just what I, I, I just felt like, and my brother was an entrepreneur too. Like I just felt like these people who were, I didn't, I hadn't put the verbiage to it that like building and watching something grow that you're applying your, your attention to is what I think we all are addicted to. It's the same thing with having kids. You know, it's, it's, I think it's just the same thing. It's like humans love being in these exciting growth environments. Sure. I mean, I hey, look, we all get trained I, for it. We, we all had Legos. As so certainly, kid. certainly everybody listening to this. Sure. Is. Like, yeah. I'm sure if you're like, you know, an accountant and your goal is to have like a, you know, a 10 to four or something like that, maybe that's not exciting to you. But like, that's what I think being alive is all about. It's about building things, your family, you know, yourself, your company, 
your hobbies, whatever they are, but the, the most satisfying things you're actively building. But I, ha I haven't put vocabulary to that. I just thought that they liked what they were doing more. I thought that it was clear and they were their own boss, which is like kind of everybody's dream. Right. Um, so on February 10th, 2012, I had the idea with my brother to start my first company. It took until January, 2014 to launch the first product. It's called Robly email marketing. So that's, what is that? 20 months, 21, 20, no, 23 months, 23 months. Yeah. Yeah. The second get emails, which retention.com used to be from when like, so Robly, we sold it, but it was like the mothership at the time. And it was, that was $3 million a year top line. You know, we had six employees. So it was like very profitable. It was a lifestyle business that wasn't growing, which is like fine, but it's not a retirement plan, which was my problem with it. Right. So I had heard about this identity thing and I was like, what do you mean I can get an email from someone who doesn't fill out a form? And knowing the email market, I was like, I could sell that to fucking anyone with a website. No, like no questions. The biggest problem in email is list shrinkage. Everybody needs a bigger list. Everybody wants a bigger list. So shrinkage. yeah, it took me, it took me a year and a half to figure out how to do it. And then along the way, I, I thought affiliate guys were going to be the only people that bought it. It's just my, another point is, I think for entrepreneurs, like what your company ends up being is usually so different than the vision that you had when you launched 100%, it. 100%. Yeah. So like, so like, just to give you an idea of what I thought Get Emails was, we sold Robly for $10 million to a private equity firm. My plan was I was burnt out as fuck after this journey. And I just kept the cap table the same as Robly. I'm like, we're, we're spinning this out. I'll sell it in 18 months. It'll be the same revenue. I'll get it to 3 million, but it's still growing and profitable. So we'll sell it for 20. And then we're done with our entrepreneurial relationship, right? And I thought it was not can spam compliant when I started it. I was just like, but the affiliate guys won't care. There haven't been any- no, They won't care at all. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they haven't been any significant can spam lawsuits anyway, right? Which was interesting because I owned an email business and I still didn't understand that about can spam, which tells you what I'm dealing, the, the blowback I'm dealing with right now. Yeah, I owned a fucking email marketing app like Clavio, and I did not know the law. Yeah, <laughs> right. How are they supposed to know? Of course, right? they're not. So, I thought it was an entirely third-party cookie-based identity system that literally it was declared that those were be going to be gone. So this was twenty. This was twenty nineteen. They were supposed to be gone by the end of twenty. Gone. This yeah. whole product would be over. Still, it was the best thing I had going on. I was like, I'll, I'll make a few million dollars in revenue. And it'll go away. And then maybe one of these vendors we use for identity will figure out how to do without cookies and we'll be fine. Lo and behold, three years later, they're still cooking the can down the road. And we have a system to do it without cookies now, which is incredible. So the whole plan the whole time was to get out of it in 18 months. Then 18 months came around and I got one bid for 50 million and then a bid six months later for 75 million. And I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's amazing. Yeah. And then, you know, it came with like, it wasn't, it was like kind of 35 up front, 40 earn out. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You the, know, I changed the, the cap structure back to like where the people actually working on it for the earn out, we're getting the earn out. And I was fine. And like, literally like, like this was February last year, like got to where I, we were signing the APA the next day, the buyer fucking walks. And like, I had spent six months working on this deal, adopting the identity of a, you know, semi-rich semi-retired crypto bro, basically, sure. right? Like yeah. who was going to write out the earn out and, you know, I'd have like, whatever, $20 million and I do whatever the fuck I wanted. Right. Yeah. And then I had this thing happen where I share offices with the Jasper guys and I watched them go from zero to a billion and a half dollar valuation where they took secondary out or whatever. 
in 12 months. And I was like, huh, maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way. And all the while, like, this business was very high churn, but the unit economics were always incredible because there's no competitors. You know, I think like I, I read something in this, there's a sa the software as a service blogger, Jason Lemkin. He's like, the reason, the reason for high customer acquisition cost is well-funded competition because you're just like battling each other. In the yeah. Place. And, I, so and, like and to be fair, like I used to work, I was supervisor at Omnicom for West Coast Operations. I dropped a million dollars a day for like CBS and I didn't even care about revenue. Right. Like people have no concept of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uphill battle that you're not even aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what made the email space I was in before so hard. It's like MailChimp had this free product. They were also spending a billion a year advertising it or something like that. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe 300 million. They're spending $300 million advertising this free product, which was better than what I had. How are you supposed to compete with that? Clavio phenomenally, they got a couple of breaks, but like after the game had been won, they were able to create another 90% monopoly, which is just phenomenal. I have so much respect for those guys. But anyway, I loved it about this market that you could walk up to somebody, explain the product and what it did, and they would, holy shit, like their face would light up. Yeah. Like, what do you, like exactly what I said, what do you mean you can like get me an email for somebody who hasn't filled out a form? It's like the three questions everybody has, how is it legal? How does it work? What do I send? Right. And then recently it's transformed into some, some other ones. Like will, with the bigger brands, like, will my brand get damaged? You know? So the, the questions are slightly different, but from the same place. Basically, yeah, it's just a it, nuance. It's will, an application. Will, 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 this hurt, yeah. will this hurt me is, is what they're saying. Because it feels like it should, right? It feels dirty. Yeah, unfair advantages yeah. feel like there's a downside you're yeah, not able totally, to see. Totally, totally. So, but, but my goal is like to keep making it safer and keep making Clavio happier and keep making that. So anyway, back to your back to the story of this. So as of last year, the guy walks, I'm devastated. And then like, I have this conversation. I think my rev, my, our ARR at that point, I was, I was, so my goal with this, Diana Ross, who's our CRO, used to work for this guy, Ross Paquette and Maripost. He's one of the only guys that I'd ever met that had a $30 million a year SaaS company where it was bootstrapped and he took home $20 million every year. And I was like, why are there not more people doing that? Like that dude's so fucking rich now. Like, and he's still, no matter, he's kind of miserable and he's stuck and he's trying to do something bigger and kind of can or whatever, but like, still sure. like, he's like pocketed like $200 million over 10 years, just, you know, taking it straight to the bank. Right. Which I thought that even with the churn problem, we, it could be a similar situation for us. So I was like, that's the goal. Yeah, and I, it I know. Seems like we, you're I know. Starting to see the breadcrumbs. Yeah, along yeah. The way I was like, I was like, we're at, yeah, we're at eight. I don't think we can get to a hundred million ARR, but I think we could get to twenty. And if we get to twenty, we'll be making fifty. And sure. like, I'll pocket ten of it. And like, yeah. I'm never going to complain about that. And by the way, like, I don't even think I have to work that much for that business because it's just kind of doing what we're doing right now, and like the market's big enough or whatever. And if we stay lay low, then like you know maybe we won't have competitors, and like we'll just be this you know small beautiful thing like this guy's company Marpost. And then Dave's CEO, who he hired, this guy named Mike Orlick. He was the CRO from Walk Me, which had gone public, and then he joined this you know I think he's like just talking to me immediately after the the day after this guy walked him. You know it's devastating. He's like, dude, like. You have 8 million ARR, you're not spending any money on marketing, and you only have one salesperson. Like, dude, you're not fucking trying hard enough. Like, that is unacceptable, <laughs> right? Like, I don't care how you do it, but like, hire some more salespeople. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not telling you to do what we're doing, which is like, they went from seven to like 250 people or something very quickly and raised 125 million or whatever, $200 million. But like, he's like, you got to try harder than this. So, my whole plan was, 
try a little bit harder, but like let Dave go do his thing with like all this venture funding and hiring like people that he, I don't even think he, you know, it's like, I don't think he knows. I, I don't know. Like it's just a different deal for him now. Mine was like bolt on individual contributors to this thing, keep it super profitable and, you know, kind of see if we can get it to 50 million or something. Then I met this dude Santosh, who's my COO now, who I talk a lot in this, about a lot in this stuff, in this content I create who built Zoom Info, this big data company. There's another data company. There's the, now the second biggest Zoom Info called Apollo.io. Literally, like they were 5 million in revenue when he joined. They're like 150 million now, like over the course of three years. Unbelievable, genius scaling guy. And he's like, we can make this company massive if you want to. He's like, there'll be an uncomfortable period, but after a while, it will be very cash flow positive too. And like, we're in the middle of the comfortable period, uncomfortable period now. And unfortunately shit like that safe hop thing happened. And like, apparently triple whales getting hammered. Everybody's like gorgeous. April, May has been very hard for people selling into the Shopify ecosystem, Yeah, which is strange. Cause like, I don't know that the brands are hurting that bad, but I think that they're, everybody's very careful and like trying to figure out if they got enough employees or the right amount of, yeah. not enough, like too many or like whatever. Yeah. I think um, we in the market, it was a very strong Q3, Q4, Q1 was underpriced. And then yeah. Q2, basically, the unit economics returned back to the mean, but you right. had nine months of completely artificial marketplace yeah. economics, and everybody's like, oh my God, what are we doing? And most of the time, it's like, if you're doing well, just look back to a year ago, how much better off you are, and then people yeah. calm down. But like, not everybody was at the same scale then. Like, you're yeah. a fundamentally different business than you were totally. May of last year. Totally. So anyway, that is like... So now we're at this point where, I don't know, we either like broke even or made 250 grand this month. I don't know. We're not burning money, but like, I thought we would have been way out of this uncomfortable position by now. If something happens and we just sort of tread. So our growth was February. I looked at it today, February, 10%, March, 8%, April, 4.6%, May, 4%. Like that's gotta go back up to 10% or I hired way too many fucking people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like, like but I think it will, you know, a lot of it was self-inflicted. Like we're, we're changing a lot of things and you know, I'm doing it very publicly and I'm like sharing all of this. Like it's all making it into these show episodes and I show my financial online and stuff. And so I'm trying to like, you know, give people a view into like what, you know, it like, look, if it doesn't start growing again, I went from, the most beautiful cash flow business in the world that literally would have been the greatest money making machine of all time to creating a $20 million a year churn machine where I'm not making any money. Right. Like, yeah. like it would, it would, it will go down and like, I will share that. Right. It will go down. I don't know what's going to happen. Like I'm optimistic, but like, it'll go down as one of the dumbest things in business anyone's ever done. Which, sure. Like, I mean, I fine. think, but that's right. Like <laughs> that's, and that's the thing that like, I, I really, I, I hope that entrepreneurs understand is like, you're going into that with full awareness, which mm -hmm. I love because most people aren't because they don't have the they don't have the yeah. history of you like, I always like to think it was like objectively on paper, 90% of the time, this isn't going to work. But also, right. I'm the one doing it. Right. And I'm going to care 100 times more than somebody else. Right. And I feel like there are people where your your thumb on the scale is different than the mean, right? Like you are making something happen. And it is one of those things where logically if you'd step back, for instance, when the buyout didn't work, most people would be like, all right, that, okay, that's that's sort of the end of the story. I, I was, I've been at places where the buyout didn't work. I was, 
I was at a company, a nutrition company, and the 95 million Deloitte de- died like eight days before the before the signature. Yeah. Right. And it was just like Evie, the executive vice president left, the president left. I was head of the growth team. I left like it was a it was a decimation yeah. after that. And I think what's really great here is the story that honestly, that's probably the best thing. Kismet happens, you know, and it's about the opportunity of being prepared, being in the right spot when the right people come along. And, you know, I think it could have easily gone 10 different ways for you. But I love that. To be fair, this is not your first road. You've Which had I think it's luck. also very helpful, right? Like yeah. maybe don't go for it on your first rodeo. Do something yeah. that you learn how to run a company and you, whatever, you know what I mean? You learn about marketing and sales and support and how to manage a tech team and all that shit. And then yeah, once you sort of have the skill, it's like, I'm pretty aware of what I'm good at. And like, I know what I'm not. And like, I'm comfortable taking this risk. It's like, I'm foregoing a lot of current income to try to hit a fucking massive home run. Yeah. You know? And it's a leveraged risk that you're doing. And yeah. every failure along the way, isn't necessarily a lost opportunity or something, but they're all lessons to get you to someplace, right? Like there's a lot of doors yeah. you open that you realize that didn't work out. And there's a lot of connections you made. And like, I just did a video yesterday where I was talking about Tesla, right? Like the X was the plan, but to get to the X, yeah. you had to do the S and then three years later, the roadster. And then like, once you figure out all the ops, once you make all the mistakes, once you get everything happening, then you get the machine that makes the thing work. Right. You know, I, I don't think you could have stepped in two years ago with where you're at today, even being on the table. And I feel like no. that's the biggest no, I, lesson I, that I've seen. So like, most- so like another, yeah, not to cut you off, but like another thing, this guy Santos has been, so he's worked with 20 B2B data companies very close. Three of them have been spectacular successes. Almost all are in the middle. And then some of them have totally failed. And he's like, he has so many interesting things to say about the mindset of the teams. And one thing that really resonated with me is he's like, so basically he's like a couple of the most interesting things. One, he's like several teams don't, don't like, they don't believe they deserve it or they could be a part of it. Like never in a million years did I, like I had some self-confidence, but like, I was kind of like, I'm a bootstrap guy. Like I'm a cash flow guy. Like I'm not like, a, I'm not going to, I'm not going to create a billion. I'm not going to create a hundred million dollar company, let alone a billion dollar one. Right. But then this guy, like literally like, it's kind of like he showed me the math. He's like, dude, yeah. like if we just fix this churn and then we hire these people and the go to market is, you know, a quarter as efficient as it is now, because we have all these other people, like we will get to 75 million in revenue in two years. And that's worth a billion dollars in this market. Maybe less now, but anyway, another interesting thing. So he says, he's like, this mindset he describes is, is about stacking S curves. So it's like spending time on things that can become incremental or exponential, excuse me, not incremental. And like making sure you always have several experiments going at once while your core business is working, always be looking for the next S curve. And he's like, the people that can do it are either really young people or older people who have been successful doing this their whole careers, thinking very laterally and outside the box, appreciating that what your success is on this venture, it will have nothing to do with how you built your last business. Everything about it would be different. The go-to-market motion, the product, everything. He's like, the people who get stuck are like, it's like a 30-year-old who crushed it in his 20s doing one thing. Yeah. He's trying to apply that one thing in his 30s. And he's stuck at 8 million in revenue or whatever the he's fuck like, it is. He's right? like a one-hit wonder. Yeah, yeah. And like, they're not yeah. open to actually having the type of mindset that would allow them to be disruptive in how they position the product and the market and everything else. 
Anyway, I thought those two things were really interesting. I know we're out of like we're out of time. We got yeah, yeah. No, I I, I love it because I think at the end of the day, the the biggest lesson that that teaches that your your guy was talking about is some folks just hit it right, and that happens. Folks yep. hit it like you know it just it just it can happen. You know what I'm saying? I think one of the lessons in the music industry is anybody can write a hit song. Any manager can sign a good band. To be able to do it twice is astronomically difficult. Right. Right. For anybody to catch lightning in a bottle more than once is almost impossible. Yeah. And I think the most successful people, the first lightning in a bottle isn't actually the peak. It's the building block that what they want to do is actually built on. And the honest truth is what they want to do isn't something they're even aware of when they start that. Right. And I think it's your definition of success for this business was so much less than what you're doing right now and so much less than what it's going to be worth 20 months ago. Yeah. And by the way, like, whether or not this ends up being, you know, the billion dollar thing, I just picked a billion because it's so, it's, an, it's, it's like so loud. It's like great. so obnoxious. On LinkedIn. I love yeah, it. yeah. It's so, it's so obnoxious, but like, I, I don't really give a shit. Like it'll be valuable. I'm going to be rich. Like probably unless something really bad happens, even something bad happens. Like I have the confidence in myself now that I can start another company. Sure. I know I can like, I've done it once I've done it twice now. Like I didn't have a lot of confidence as a result of my first business because it was like this data mining strategy that I always felt was kind of cheating. We were like stealing customers from Constant Contact. After that ran out, I couldn't grow it. So I was like, oh shit, unless I have enough strategy like that, I'm like not good enough or whatever. And this thing's growing on its own, which is tremendous validation. It's way more fun to be all in than make money. Yeah. Period. Like 100%. no matter what happens with this, I would have... Like I was going to make a lot of cash this year. Instead, I'm like plowing into all these people's salaries. Like it's way more fun going for it, period, in life, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, I love it. Let's let's end on that, man, because yeah. I think that's great. I, I think I really appreciate your time. If there's anything else that you want to say or anything, I mean, it's retention.com. You're obviously a great follow on LinkedIn. I'm enjoying the stories. Your video editor is a phenomenal storyteller. Thumbs up is somebody that doesn't mean anything that they shouldn't know who the hell I am or give a damn what I think. <laughs> One guy thinks it's really cool. Um, All right, man. But yeah, man, I'll let you just like, if there's anything you want to say, I'll leave the last word to you here just so that like, it's an unabated thing. If if you're caught up on the legality, just email me at adamantretention.com. If, <laughs> if you made it all the way through this podcast and you're still hung up on the legality, I am willing to get on the phone with you personally and explain it all to you. Honestly, I think I might just open with that and then we'll go straight to legality. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Editing team, go find that, put that in the first. All right, great. All right, I, Adam, I appreciate it, man. I'll, I'll talk to you later. This was a lot of fun. I know you're a busy dude, and I'm sure I'll see you around the sphere, bro. Thanks a yeah. lot, dude. You're doing great right, stuff. Man. I'll see you later. Holler. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, bye.